We shall pay any price, bear any burden, meet any hardship, support any friend, oppose any foe to assure the survival and the success of liberty. American prosperity is the bedrock of freedom and security all over the world. An obligation to the heritage of liberty and dignity handed down to us by our forefathers. It's time for the Pro-America Report with Ed Martin on The Answer San Diego. Welcome, welcome, welcome. It's Ed Martin and it's the Pro-America Report. So great to be with you. So happy to be together. I hope that you have had a wonderful week and and I hope you are celebrating uh, President's Week, I call it now. I had an extraordinary conversation. I had to record it ahead of time with Lee Habib uh, of Our American Stories. And uh, he's really cool. He does these great uh, podcasts as well as radio programs, uh, basically covering all the sto- interesting stories of America. You're going to hear from them in a minute, hear from him and later on in the show. And the thing that I tell you I love is we talked about Lincoln. We talked about Washington. He's got all sorts of stories. And so I hope you're celebrating all week. Of course, February 22nd is the actual birth date of, uh, of uh, General George Washington, President George Washington. I hope you'll celebrate by learning more about him. Um, so many things to learn. Lee was saying that uh, there's one uh, a famous thing about him that others got sick. And in the time of war, in the revolution, there was all kinds of problems health-wise. Um, dysentery would kill people, right? Um, and smallpox swept through a bunch of different places. And he he was like indestructible. Something about his uh, his immune system and his personality, who knows what it was. He, he just never, he never was felled by things. It's extraordinary. So very cool story. Lee, uh, Lee Habib, check him out, Our American Stories. Uh, I think it's ouramericanstories.com. Super uh, cool guy. And hey, we are um, always go to phyllisschlafly.com. You can see Phyllis's writings on George Washington there, phyllisschlafly.com. She wrote about George Washington a number of times in radio commentaries, which you can listen to, also in written columns and other forms. And then, of course, please visit proamericareport.com, where I'm giving you all the good stuff in a substack, a little bit longer form, uh, quick hits. I've got a post that's going up uh, probably in the next few hours as I'm talking to you, uh, and it's on this topic we're about to talk about. So um, look forward to that and a whole lot more. PhyllisSchlafly.com, by the way, will get you the John Schlafly, Andy Schlafly columns also. So uh, you want to make sure you get over there and uh, get check in every now and then and see what they're up to. Okay, well, <clears throat> one of the features of this radio program and the podcast and also uh, standalone links is you get the wink. It's called the wink, W-I-N-K. What you need to know, the two is silent uh, in, this, in, the, in, the, uh, in the acronym that the two is silent. What you need to know, the wink, which is, by the way, the name of the daily email that goes out, the daily wink at 8 a.m. East Coast time. And you can sign up for that uh, uh, anytime, anytime you want. Go over to phyllisschlafly.com, sign up there, and you'll be uh, getting that in your inbox. Uh, I don't sell your email address. I don't rent it. I don't give it to others. I just use it to send you this message. And the wink, the daily wink, you get a couple of links. A couple of stories and then one point. I make one point I want you to think about. And I can tell you right now on this in this segment, what you need to know is I finally came to I I finally captured the phrase uh, and, and is this America held hostage. America held hostage. In let me give you the background. In um 1979, when I uh the hostages were uh taken. 
And actually, it could have been that the hostages were taken. They were held for 444 days. They might have been taken in the last days of, of uh, 1978. Uh, but the hostage crisis in Iran was extraordinary, and it riveted the country. Now, I was only eight or nine years old at the time, so I only vaguely remember the whole thing. But for it, it was, it was um, in a time where you had only the evening news on the big three channels, ABC, NBC, and CBS. There was reporting every night, um, and it was in the newspapers. And there were all these uh, 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 people from our embassy in Iran who had been taken hostage. And so there were lots of coverage. I mean, there was uh, there was some somewhere north of 50, 54 or 64 people taken hostage. And so you, heard, you, you saw in the newspaper uh, a coverage of who the people were, you know, background on them and writings about them. And it was a real big deal. Well, uh, a few uh, weeks into the hostage crisis, Rune Arledge, the late Rune Arledge, who was famous for creating Monday Night Football. He was an, an ABC TV executive, and he created the idea of Monday Night Football, a standalone game and all the uh, sort of um, pomp and circumstance around it and all that stuff. Well, Rune Arledge was programming us uh, ABC News at the time, and he decided to program opposite uh, Johnny Carson and the other late night television hosts. So on all the big three, ABC, NBC, and CBS, they would at 1135 East Coast time, they would go to uh, Hollywood and you'd have Johnny Carson, for example, on NBC. And so Rune Arledge decided to put ABC, instead of trying to compete with Johnny, he would run uh, a, a show that he called America Held Hostage. America held hostage. It actually, the full title was the Iran hostage, uh, the, the Iran crisis, America held, ho held hostage day one, day two, day three. And over time, people were watching this and it was counting. And I have to say, I, I, I cannot help but believe that in the 1980 uh, election, that it wasn't a big factor that this was ongoing in fact, it must have been 79 when the, the, it must have been 79. I say it now. It was 1979 because it was the last few months, last month or two of 1979 and all of 1980, 365 days. So and then uh, freed on the 21st of January, uh, just as Reagan was inaugurated, literally, then they freed the hostages. But so that whole year, an election year, you had this situation where America held hostage day 42, America held hostage day 220. America held hostage day 300, it must have been, 320 by the time it was election day. It must have had an impact on the voting public in how they felt. And here's what I'm going to tell you. Right now in America, America held hostage is how we feel. We're held hostage by the, the lies from the government. We're held hostage by the lies from the media. We're held hostage by an economy that makes no sense. We're told it's doing fine. Uh, stock market's up and uh, inflation's coming down. But nobody feels like they're making it. Everybody feels like, well, I mean, some people do, I suppose, rich people. The rest of us feel like, hey, we're really struggling to figure out how to keep this thing going and how to make sure it goes right. And it's a real challenge. It's a real challenge. And we feel, we feel, there's a beeping. I don't know what that is. There's a beeping. Uh, and we feel held hostage by the situation. We don't know what to make of what's happening. And that feeling, the description of America held hostage, seems to me to capture exactly what is going on, exactly what has happened, exactly what is at the center of the frustration that people are feeling. They don't exactly know 
why they're frustrated. They don't exactly know what to make of it. They're not exactly sure, but they know and they're being held hostage. They look up and the president of the United States is barely functional. And they're told just to smile and carry on. That there's nothing to see here. It's not nothing to worry about. They're told that it doesn't matter. They're, they watch the world. They watch money pour out of America to the Ukraine. And they're told that this is a war we have to care about. And yet the war seems unwinnable. It seems incomplete. So everything we're told seems like we're being lied to. Now, maybe that's not all true, by the way. Uh, oh, even, oh, here's another one. Even the woke stuff. The American people feel like the the gotcha trap of wokeism is just holding us hostage. It's making it so you're not supposed to say anything. The, the censorship movement in this country is holding us hostage. We're, we're held hostage by this dynamic that's uh, framing up who we are and how we're living. So that's my theme. That's what I'm going to tell you. And once I said it out loud, it felt right. It felt right. It felt like America's held hostage by the situation and, and by, this, by the leadership. We're held hostage by a, a, a government, a, a U.S. Congress and, and a, a president that can't agree on what to do to close the border. Now, I know the president could close the border himself, but they should be able to agree somehow to do that. And America's looking up and they're going, wait a second. The border's open with millions of people pouring in and we're held hostage. We're the ones that are held hostage here. And we're just told to, you know, we're just told, oh, that's not going to work out. That's not going to work out. And, you know, we're going to we're going to go on our way. I think it captures the feeling. And I will tell you this, if over the course of oh, oh, one more example, when you watch the lawfare waged against individuals, it doesn't mean you have to like Trump, but you have to watch what's being waged against him. You look up and you say, what is this? What's happening when our our Justice Department is targeting people, when lawyers who are supposed to be representing clients are targeted? It doesn't feel like something that's um, serious. It feels like we're being held hostage. Think about the ways that that fits both the reality and the feeling in this country right now. It, it seems to me that that perfectly captures what's happening. America held hostage. And you could say, well, it's hostage by the circumstances or by the technology, maybe. You could say it's by the Chinese communists, maybe. But it looks like the people who could make a difference aren't bothering. They're not trying to change it. They're just saying, oh, tough. That's tough. They're part of it. More on this. More on this. But for today, that's what today, that's what you need to know. I wanted to bring that to you, and I will uh, I'll flesh that out over the coming weeks uh, because I think there's something uh, important there. And uh, tune in here for more. Hang in. Come back from this break. We've got some great interviews. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Back in a moment. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Our next guest, uh, he was on He was on a little while ago. Uh, Lee Habib is uh, is the, um, uh, the the creator and host of a podcast that I really like. It's called Our American Stories. Um, I, I'm looking at the iHeart, um, iHeart.com version of it, and it's it's really great. Things, it's kind of um, stories you didn't know, uh, histories you didn't know, and especially um, maybe uh, positive. Lots of positivity and lots of upbeat stuff, and I think in one of the Our American Stories, uh, it says um, stories that haven't been told, that aren't told. And so welcome back, Lee. How are you? 
Great. How are you? I'm doing fine. I'm doing fine. So I was really intrigued and glad to grab you to get on the program because I was looking, I was, I was bad mouthing President's Day because I like George Washington's birthday. So I was saying, you know, I don't want to pick a president. I want George Washington. And then I was looking at your stuff and you've got a great um, uh, uh, um, one on Lincoln, um, the short, happy life of Abraham Lincoln, his final days. And it's, it's just phenomenal. I thought, okay, now I can see why we'll talk about presents. So uh, first of all, uh, about um, creating the stories how do you go about it are, are you trolling constantly for ideas do you look yourself do you have people that feed them to you how do you find them you know we're a nonprofit, and we were very well funded it was a it was a big idea just telling stories of america to america about our past and so i have a really strong staff we've got a whole bunch of historians now that know what we do and it's remarkable we don't put a thumb on a scale we don't make george washington perfect or thomas jefferson perfect right. we don't burnish images we just tell straight history and you know sometimes the history falls the way of conservatives so periodically it falls the way of liberals it rarely falls the way of progressives though on occasion it does <laughs> in history but it yeah. does the union movement was not all bad right? It, right it didn't start out of bed it just it morphed into something bad um so so we try to play it straight and we 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 get to talk to some of the great historians of the country all of whom know our distribution we're heard on 300 stations around the country two hours a night and some big ones and then our podcast has grown four thousand percent in the last two years it turns out americans want to hear stories about their own country that are in the end redeeming and positive and it's about basically flawed human beings who do great things and overcome tremendous odds. And that's, that's our nation. We were an underdog nation and overcame tremendous odds to be here. It's uh, well, and, and and maybe it's just a human condition, right? I mean, it's kind of it's 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 called being alive. You're going to do something's yeah. really well, and something's imperfectly, and uh, and probably if you do it, uh, uh, if it all co- co- you know comes together, you got a balance in your favor. So about this uh, Lincoln one, I, I, the short happy life of Lincoln. It's uh, we've been told he was he was depressed. He you know it was a heck of a job. Uh, you know he couldn't figure out how to win the Civil War, and then of course he was murdered. And he lost his uh, what two sons? I think. What, can right. you really? Can you? It, can you really sell a short, happy life? Well, I say a short, happy life because he, it had been very difficult for him these years in the presidency. He had a tendency towards melancholy anyway, which, right. by the way, I think saved him. I think people who didn't know suffering couldn't have handled what he had to handle hmm. as the president of the United States during the Civil War. But I called it the short, happy life because for one day, on the, and, and by the way, it's Good Friday. The, the day before yeah. Washington, D.C. had celebrated, it was called the Grand Illumination, celebrated the surrender of Lee uh, at Appomattox. Word had spread. There was the giant. Can you imagine the celebrations after the Civil War ends? The nation's capital lit up in lights. Lincoln wakes up in the morning and for the first time, the weight of the war is off his shoulders. He meets with his cabinet for the last time, uh, war cabinet. And, and, and Ulysses S. Grant is there, whom he adores. His son mm-hmm. is there. He's, he and his wife take a carriage ride, and she writes in her journal, I, you know, Abe wants to be happy again. He wants us to, to one day return to Springfield, practice law, and see the Pacific. Oh, how we want to see the Pacific. They go to see a comedy that night, and, and that's what they went to see. American Cousin was a comedy. Mm. And the president arrives and they they stop everything and they they play hail to the chief and people are clapping. He sits up at his booth and, you know, John Wilkes Booth was not a nobody. He was a very well-known actor. 
People knew him. And mm. it would have been easy for him to gain entry into the president's booth. Be like Brad Pitt, Pitt getting entrance into the mm. president's booth. And there he goes, Lincoln only having finally had relief from the Civil War for a day. And John Wilkes Booth oh, basically blows a part of his head off, jumps on the stage. Everybody can see him. Everybody knows who he is. He screams out the word Six Semper Tyrannus and jumps on his horse through the backstage, all planned, thinking he was going to return a hero to the South. And with some good reason, there were many people who were happy he had done what he had done in the South. They didn't like Lincoln. And so then Lincoln's body has to get transported down through the crowd, out onto the street. And now a light rain has fallen. And mm. on Good Friday, stepping into the next day, Lincoln passes a day before Easter. Mm. What a story. What yeah. a sad and tough and that's why we called it the short, happy life of Abraham Lincoln. That's a great. Well, and I like that even better uh, that the, the way you told it. I mean, could have said it could have said the short, the short, happy day of Lincoln like that. But but the point is, in retrospect, it was a it was a um, sort of a culmination. Right. It was it was wonderful. It's wonderful storytelling, by the way. And we, our guest is Lee Habib uh, again. And his uh, his uh, our American stories, as he mentioned, is on uh, syndicated all across the country on radio, but also at the podcast, Our American Stories. Uh, you can uh, listen to these stories. All right. Because I don't want to lose my time. I only got to, uh, you know, it's uh, we have 10 minutes together. I want to go back to Washington because I love hearing about Washington. And I particularly love I, I hate to tell you this. I love hearing how he failed all the time. And he kept going. He kept going, kept going, kept getting better. This one from a few days ago, how smallpox created Canada by destroying Washington's army. I never, I'd never heard this. And uh, tell us about it. Well, you know, it, it's, it's not just the smallpox and rising above that. It's all the military excursions he had in the past, which he'd fail. And what, why was he to think he was going to succeed against, again, again, against the mighty British Navy and British Army? But what he does is remarkable. And what he does is put this ragtag team together, understanding that what we have is lots of land. We're going to wear the British down through a sort of a an insurgency campaign. Hit them and run. Hit them and run. Hit them and run. Wear them down. But when Washington wins, this is what truly makes him unique. He surrenders his commission. Nobody can believe he's done this. In the in the in the in the mode of the great Cincinnatus, he right. walks away from power, and then he does it again after his second presidency. He could have stayed for more terms. The Twenty Second Amendment was passed because of Roosevelt. Roosevelt died in his fourth term, and he would have stayed as many terms as he could have. Not <laughs> yeah. Washington. Washington said two is enough. Let the next folks in. He wanted to retire. He wanted to go back home. Washington was a very wealthy man. He left his home for nine years. He left Mount Vernon. On the occasion that George Washington's wife, Martha, visited him, it was at Mount Vernon and Valley, you know, it was at Valley Forge during the height of winter. Try inviting your wife on a camping trip to Valley Forge during war for a husband and wife uh, conjugal <laughs> visit. Yeah. Not exactly a turn on, but this was Washington's commitment to the, the, the founding of this country and getting it right. He's as 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 Lincoln said, he's the mightiest name on 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 earth. What, as human what, name, human name. Yeah, yeah. What? So tell me. So, but, but fill us in on the on the smallpox because it's a great detail of, of, of again. I mean, had it gone differently, if if if, if Washington got smallpox and died, I mean that happened all the time, and he didn't. But anyway, t t no. But not only did Washington not die from smallpox, which is a miracle. You know, Washington was in battle continually. So many soldiers saw shots 
fire right past Washington. He was very tall. He was a big target. He was a tremendous horseman. And he wasn't one of these armchair chair generals. Smallpox didn't kill him. The British, believe me, they wanted to kill Washington. There's a target on his back. You think they want a sniper? They certainly want a general. And they yeah. certainly want a general named Washington. That he survived all of that from the, the worst disease imaginable in America at the time, uncurable and Virulent, virulent and violent, what it does to the body. And here's Washington seemingly inoculated from almost any harm imaginable. Yeah, it is. It's a, that's a great it's a great story. And you tell it so well. Lee Habib, again, thank you for coming on uh, his Our American Stories. You can go and uh, check them out. OurAmericanStories.com uh, and see there both where they're running, what their stories are. I have to say, you have you mentioned your team. I was looking at your team. You got great staff and folks that are interested telling the stories. And so also the podcast. Thank you, Lee. As always, it's a great I think it is a really you're right. It's I'm not surprised you're doing well because I, it just fits in. It makes me energy guys just listening and hearing you so thanks very much thanks for having me on all right we'll take a break everybody we'll come back i'll put links up to uh to uh, that those two segments uh, those two uh of the podcast segments are great phenomenal so we'll take a break and be right back it's ed martin here on the pro america report back in a moment Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. My old friend, Hal Shirtliff, who is an extraordinary guy, runs Camp Constitution, campconstitution.net. I'm making them digging sure I do it right, uh, Hal. We're just talking off the air. But what I'm most excited about is his new book, which a few months ago he sent me a proof of, and I saw it, and I said, this is fantastic. And it's good timing, I think. It's important timing. And then I emailed him yesterday and said, is the book out? And he said, yes, last week. So here it is. So we need to get him on the show. Hal Shirtliff, the book is the Racist Roots of Planned Parenthood and Its Legacy of Death, available at CampConstitution.net if you go there or at Amazon.com. Welcome back, Hal. How are you? Great. Thanks for having me on. Well, so tell me about this. I mean, you you have a a lot of uh, tools on your tool belt there, but what made you write this book? Well, I've I've learned about uh, the racist roots of Planned Parenthood many years ago. I read a book by George Grant called um, The Grand Illusions, The Legacy of Planned Parenthood. I knew about the Negro Project, which is um, something that Margaret Sanger, its uh, founder, hatched. Her goal was to get uh, black ministers and black clergy, I'm sorry, black clergy and black doctors to promote birth control initially. And then eventually it was abortion. So that was launched in 1939. And I came across a letter that she wrote to a Dr. Clarence Gamble, December 10th, 1939. In the letter, she says that it's a three-page letter. I actually held the original letter in my hands. It said that we don't want word to get out that we wish to exterminate the Negro race. And that's why the clergy and the doctors, uh, the black doctors or Negro doctors and clergy will set their more rebellious members straight. Now, they claim that she didn't want to exterminate the Negro race. And even if she didn't want to exterminate them, she definitely wanted to curtail their births by a big, big, big percentage. Right. And I think she's been wildly successful. But at one point I was doing an, an article about Planned Parenthood and I looked at the letter and I noticed the address on the letter. Uh, Dr. Gamble lived in the town of Milton, Massachusetts, which is right next to Boston. It's sort of a 
bedroom, somewhat bedroom community, uh, very right. wealthy. Uh, and then, you know, there's some blue collar uh, working class there. And I knew the neighborhood very well. So I uh, back in eight, late 18, I got my uh, our camp chaplain, Reverend Stevie Kraft, who happens to be black, to read the letter across the street from the house that Clarence Gamble lived. Now, we qualified. I said, don't come down and protest in front of the house. The house is the, he's, the, he died in 66. Right. You don't know who lives there. Right. So he read the letter and made commentary. And that video was up on our YouTube channel, Camp Constitution. And then it dawned on me that just about maybe eight or nine doors down, and this is a high-rent district to say the least, that's where George H.W. was born. And so Prescott Bush lived in the same neighborhood wow. around the same time. And Prescott Bush was Planned Parenthood's first treasurer. And I wow. said, oh, my goodness. Yeah. And it was ironic that Bush died that same day that we made that video, November 30th, uh, 2018. Mm. Wow. Um, so I know I didn't go into it right away, but I thought, you know, that uh, I found out that the Clarence Gamble papers were at the Harvard Medical School Library, which is on the Boston side, not in Cambridge, but in Boston. And it's the largest library, medical library I understand in the world. And it was right before the lockdown, January of 2020, that I spent several hours three or four hours, I didn't see one letter between Bush and Gamble, but I got all this correspondence from from Sanger and Gamble. And I that Negro Project letter, um, and I found out who funded the Negro Project. Uh, oh. And this, this is not too well known. Albert Lasker, who was known as the uh, father of modern advertisement. You know, if you're a female and you smoke, it's probably because of commercials he uh, he yeah. established way back then, you know. Right. You have your own cigarette now, baby. You'll come a long, long way, that kind of stuff. He was a Republican, interestingly enough. He married Mary, um, his wife, Mary, who was a close associate of Sanger. She ran a birth control uh, place in New York. Uh, she married a she married a man named Reinhardt, who was an art dealer, wealthy guy. She divorced him, married Lasker. They founded the Lasker Foundation, which exists to this day. If you go to their website, they have nothing but high praise for their uh, two founders. And I asked before we put the book to, into publication, I said, you have a statement on the racist roots of your founders. And they never go back to me. I sent several emails and they didn't want to respond, <laughs> but, uh, which I thought was pretty fascinating. Um, and so, yeah, he donated something like $20,000, which today would be about a half a million dollars. Oh, my, and they wow. started uh, using clinics. And of course, this, and the letters point out the South. It's always where there's, there's and they, yeah, the word Negro, by by the way, was a generic term. It wasn't meant to be offensive in those days. Yeah. Uh, today it would be, but in those days it wasn't. And it was one of their colleagues was, uh, uh, she was a doctor and she had a clinic and it's all, all, all these letters are in the book. She had a clinic down in uh, Florida, Lydia, I can't think of her last name offhand. And in one of her letters, she said the Negro birth rate is, the colored birth rate is too high. And I'm thinking, hmm. no, who are you to determine what the right. birth rate should be, you know? And also there was some very interesting, other interesting people involved here, you know, um, uh, and I have, I, and that's why it took me a little while because after I had a, tr I transcribed the letters because uh, I had to take pictures of them. I couldn't just, you know, photocopy them. So they didn't come out and some of them, and I put pictures of all of the, um, I put pictures of letters in with the, uh, right after the transcribed letter. But it was just an interesting uh, number of people. Also, uh, Sanger had it. She was a, uh, incredible. I mean, she was evil, but she had to give the devil her due. She was so good at organizing and getting people to work. She had Nazis. She had communists and she had Klansmen. 
And one of the communists was, uh, we all know his name, most of us, W.E.B. Dubois. Now, mm-hmm. he joined the Communist Party late in life. Hmm. He was. Uh, he said this, and I have the quote in the book. On the other hand, the mass of ignorant Negroes still breed carelessly and disastrously. So the increase among Negroes, even more than the increase among whites, is far from the population least intelligent and fit and least able to rear their children properly. Now, if a white person say that, you would justify to say this guy was a flaming racist. But right. was, this was uh, Dubois. Right. And uh, Ernest Rudin, who was the man in charge of the Nazi sterilization program, he was not only he was a really close colleague of the whole eugenics movement in the United States. He used to travel the United States regularly and give and and he actually got an award by Hitler. And the only reason why I believe and, you know, the other people believe that he escaped Nuremberg trials is because he had so many close colleagues in the United States yeah. and in England that it wouldn't be quite an embarrassment. So he just sort of quietly let him go his way. And then uh, I came across something called the Puerto Rican Project, which was something I never heard of before. Right. So in addition to the Negro Project, the, have, were you familiar with the? Puerto no, Rican I never heard. I never heard it. No, until your book. I didn't know until I saw yeah. your book. And so um, now Gamble, his big thing. Uh, he would, by the way, Gamble was the grandson of one of the founders of Procter and Gamble. So he was a, he was an heir to their fortune. Mm-hmm. His specialty was uh, abortifacients. Uh, Spongers, Duraform, the things that they were using, you know, to promote to prevent births back in the 20s, 30s. And then the pill. And it was a man named John Rock. He was supposed to be. He's a he's a good Catholic boy. He (laughs) John Rock and um, a colleague of his. They he was from Brookline, Massachusetts, where Dukakis, Michael Dukakis is from. Right. And so they used to use they 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 use some of their patients and then they use um, mental patients. In bed in Belmont, Massachusetts, the uh, wow. McLean Hospital, and then they said, "Now we're gonna we're gonna go to Puerto Rico. Puerto Rico is very lax when it comes to birth control, and they use about fifteen hundred women in a very poor poor town. Uh, I forget the name of the town. It's in the book here. Uh-huh. And um, they some of the women died. Not many. Several died. Some had blood clots, and and then a fine is okay. Now we can market it, and it was put on the market." Uh, I also have something that might disturb some of our friends. It is a speech given by Martin Luther King. He was the first recipient of the Margaret Sanger Award. He and and Lyndon Baines Johnson. Wow. And if you read the speech, now, King didn't probably write a lot of his speeches. Right. Whoever wrote this speech could not have called himself a disciple of Jesus Christ. He referred to large families as evil. He compared huh. what he was doing and Sanger that they were on basically on the same page. He said, you know, she got arrested. She did a lot of uh, she was arrested, as you probably know, mm. yeah. uh, for yeah. doing what she was doing. She had a flee to England for a while and she came back and she got a slap on the wrist, I think. And he said, but they, ha- she has to follow a higher law. He's trying yeah. to refer to God, you know. Wow. Wow. <laughs> I said, uh, now, oh my goodness. <laughs> yeah. No, how unfortunately, how amazingly we're out of time. Now, Camp Constitution on that was where you can get the book. This is what, what you just heard as uh, how uh, spoke. It's how the book reads, too. It's this kind of all these things. You, you read it thinking, wow, how did that? How did I not know that if I hadn't heard that about? So uh, it's worth checking out. The Again, the book is The Racist Roots of Planned Parenthood and its Legacy of Death. Uh, and uh, Hal Shirtliff is the author. He also is the founder and leads Camp Constitution at campconstitution.net. You'll see they have their upcoming camp in the summer, July 14th through July 19th. You should look into that if your family, your children, if it works for you, you should apply. But I've got to go to a break. I'll get in trouble with my uh, producers. We've got to take a quick break and I'll be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Back in a moment. 
This is the Phyllis Schlafly Report, a daily commentary continuing the conservative pro-family legacy of Phyllis Schlafly. Now the president of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, Ed Martin. Obama appointee Judge Tanya Chutkin, who presides over Jack Smith's prosecution of Donald Trump, released a 48-page diatribe against the former president filled with strained and odd analogies and references to even George Washington. All that was missing from her narrative was a claim that she and other D.C. judges were courageously crossing the Delaware River as George Washington did. The real tyranny is on the banks of the Potomac River in the swamp where these judges have ruled against Trump and his supporters on every legal issue while making absurd historical allusions. The American people are turning against what journalist Julie Kelly has called January 6th jurisprudence confirmed by the reputable Pew Research in a recent survey about declining trust in government. Pew found that only 15% of Americans feel that the federal government is right most of the time, while a rock-bottom 1% say that the feds are right just about always. These liberal judges should read what Thomas Jefferson said over 200 years ago about tyranny from the bench. As the author of the eloquent manifesto against the tyranny of King George III in 1776, Jefferson later recognized tyranny when he saw it coming from federal judges. Jefferson wrote, As for the safety of society, we commit honest maniacs to bedlam, so judges should be withdrawn from the bench whose erroneous biases are leading us to dissolution. It may, indeed, injure them in fame or in fortune. But it saves the republic, which is the first and supreme law. The U.S. Supreme Court, which is just blocks away from Judge Tanya Chutkin, should rein in the judges presiding over the Trump-related cases in D.C., which have become show trials used by Biden supporters to crush their political opposition. The decision to remove Trump from the ballot by Colorado's Supreme Court for supposed insurrection marks a dangerous and tyrannical form of judicial action that stands in stark opposition to the principles of our republic and the vision of the American founders. This has been the Phyllis Schlafly Report from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. Anyone pushing for a constitutional convention doesn't have a full appreciation for the brilliance and beauty of the original document ratified back in 1788. At phyllisschlafly.com, you'll find all kinds of reasons why a con-con could be a disaster for the American way of life. Check out phyllisschlafly.com. And join us again next time for the Phyllis Schlafly Report. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. By the way, please visit ProAmericaReport.com, ProAmericaReport.com. Sign up there for the daily email, excuse me, sign up there for my uh, Substack. I write lengthier. In fact, I'm going to post uh, a little bit later tonight. So uh, you can sign up there. But also, I know this is two-step. You got to go over to uh, com and sign up there. Make sure you're signed up for the daily email, the daily wink. You will get everything you need to know, what you need to know uh, in an email, 8 o'clock East Coast time each morning uh, and uh, Monday through Friday. Uh, please check it out. All right. Uh, earlier on the Wink, uh, the radio segment portion of the Wink, which is my first segment here, I, I did speak about uh, how President's Day, I don't really I don't really get it. You know, President's Day. I mean, I just like I, I think we I just like I like George Washington. I think we should celebrate George Washington's birthday. I think we should probably cel- celebrate George Washington's birthday on his birthday, not on uh, a Monday after a weekend. So many things get 
corrupted by the need to make it easy for school to have a three-day weekend or work. I don't know. Anyway, but it's not even George Washington's birthday anymore. It's uh, it's President's Day. So, But here's what I want to do. I want to raise a toast and highlight George Washington and the importance of studying his life. Now, first, I want to encourage you to study lives of successful people. Now, I know this sounds predictable, but there's a lot of really smart literature, uh, research, anecdotal evidence about the fact that if you study successful people, it has a benefit on you directly. You may not even know it. One time years ago, a friend of mine asked me to join this kind of a club that you got a certain number of books. It was a, it was kind of a self-help initiative is the best way I can talk about it. But it focused a lot on reading and reading. And there was lots of great books, great books and, and really good books on organizational stuff and on understanding how things operate and all kinds of things. And some of them were biographies. But after that time, and I did get a couple of books out of there that I've never uh, I've never stopped reading and rereading. So I should say, and they're not the biographies. But after that reading, a very intensive program, I ended up then going on a, a spree of reading biographies. And to this day, I just love if I hear somebody interesting that's historic or something that there's a biography of, I will go and I'll, I go to the library. I go online to my local library and I order a copy to be delivered the way my uh, a county library works is they deliver it to the local library near me and I go pick it up. And I don't buy the books because I don't know if I'll enjoy it. I don't know if I want that. I just want to read about people that I hear about that are successful. And so the other thing I want to tell you is when books became popular, when books became popular, which is, you know, around the six in the 1600s, they started to get really popular. The printing press became uh, the Gutenberg printing press. And then the others that quickly developed was in the 1500s. But in the 1600s, as books became more popular and they existed in places, you could go to the library and see them. You know, you go to the church and see them. There's copies of the scripture, more copies of the scripture available, copies of meditations on faith and religion. All these things became more popular. One of the popular types of books in that period, mostly late 1600s, I think is when the most popular version was Lives of Saints, the Lives of Saints, people describing the lives of, of, of famously holy people. And the Lives of Saints, Butler, Butler's Lives of Saints was the most common. I think Butler was a, a priest in England. Uh, he wrote the Butler's Lives of Saints was wildly popular, really big seller. Because you open up Butler's Lives of Saints, there's hundreds and hundreds of saints, and they have short biographies. And you can read about, oh, so-and-so, you know, did, did this, this, and this, and came from this background, that background, ended up being a saint, either holy in some specific way. Sometimes they were uh, famous, sometimes they weren't. And it was very cool. My point is, the, the lives are what works. You can read a lot about principles. You can read a lot about facts and uh, the details and theories, all kinds of things around the One thing that's powerful is read about Einstein. You read all about, you have to read, if you, if you care about that science, you got to read all about uh, uh, the science. But if you read about the person, you learn an awful lot. And you learn about how they got there, how they succeeded. Einstein took a lot of naps, by the way. He was famously a workaholic, but he took a lot of naps, which I love the idea of. I mean, he used to, he was famous. He would take, uh, famous. His wife would tell stories. I think he would lie down on the couch and just take like a 30-minute nap. Boom. And he'd be out. Like, out in the, and it, he was kind of a wild character because he was so smart and so successful. He would sometimes like just take a nap in front of people. Like they, oh, pull the, he'd roll over on the, cou on the couch if there was room and, and lay down and take a nap. Anyway, my point is that's a silly example. But more importantly, when you read about Washington, for example, you read, re you read about many aspects, including this one, which is, you know, it's important because he became such an iconic figure, but he failed 
over and over again as the general of the American army. He had defeat after defeat. He made a number of what historically looking back look like blunders. They will say, oh, that was a historical error. I'm not quite as confident to say that. But historians will say that. He made this error. You know, and military historians and military strategists will say, yeah, he made this error. But over and over again, he was a writer of letters. Um, He wrote to Martha, his wife, a lot, but he wrote other letters. He was a writer. He kept some uh, journals. So we know that about his thinking. But he just kept after it. And you learn. And Washington's life was long and extraordinary. Now, he was a very wealthy guy. So he also had the ability to do things that nobody else could do at that time. But that doesn't mean you not everybody would would do that. He was just an extraordinary guy. He gave up relinquished power when he could have stayed in power. You know, famously, instead of staying as president, he didn't want a king. One thing I love to read about in one of his biographies is he was an early investor in uh, in the um, canals uh, that, you know, needed you needed canals next to the rivers because you needed the water to transport things. And so he was an investor and he picked poorly. He had bad he had bad investment ideas, but he knew that the canals were important. He could see that it had to happen. It had to be a project that people had to do. He believed in it for the, the uh, developing economy. Anyway, George Washington. On his birthday, celebrate his birthday uh, and uh, celebrate his life and study the lives of successful people to learn things they did and the ways they failed, the ways they succeeded. Many of them were, you know, terribly unhelpful and unhealthy people uh, uh, emotionally and with their families. You can learn from it. It's wonderful. So anyway, George Washington was an extraordinary man, extraordinary man, a gift uh, providential that he was uh, around at that time uh, to lead this nation and the founding. So there you have it. Happy uh, George Washington's birthday. And we've got to go. Thank you, as always, to Mason Mohan and to uh, Ryan Haidt, our producers. Back tomorrow. Ed Martin, Pro-America Report.